Good job. Thank you. <laughs> Good evening once again, and Merry Christmas. On Sunday, we looked at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Let hearts prepare him room. Tonight, I want to talk about a sign and a song and a savior. From Luke chapter 2, Chet was reading, and I want to focus on verses 8 through 18, on that thing that's called the shepherd's Christmas. Have you ever noticed how Christmas reveals the best and the worst in people? I was hearing in the news today that in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, one of those bell ringers had his little red kettle stolen. Who would do that? And then a man showed up. He had a sign. The sign said, I have a job. I have a car. I have a nice, warm place to lay my head. Could you use $5? (laughs) And people started lining up, and he started giving out the money. Charles Dickens loved Christmas. He wrote, It's good to be a child sometimes, and never better than at Christmas, when the mighty founder was a child himself. Look again in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. It says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over the flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven and the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled (laughs) at those things which were told them by the shepherds. You know, in verse 8, it begins with the shepherds' watch. It says, now there was in the same country, that is, in the hill country of Judea, Shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. In the Bible, shepherds were considered the lowest rung on the social scale. And what do you suppose it was that made shepherds so despised? Why, it was their work, of course. 
They had to watch sheep and care for sheep and feed sheep. And when they would do these things, it would make them ceremonially unclean. They weren't welcome at the synagogue and they wouldn't have been welcome in the temple. And so the culture at large considered them social outcasts because they were never seen at at church except under the most rare of circumstances. So why do you suppose that God, thinking about this thing called Jesus and salvation, would allow the angels a supernatural message to give to the shepherds? Why start with shepherds? Well, they're a hardy bunch. They're a humble bunch. These are people who face hardship and danger. They're like homeless people except with sheep. They have to live outside. And so why make this announcement to them? Why not go into Jerusalem? And why not show up at the temple and tell the high priest of Israel? Why not show up in Rome and communicate the message to Caesar Augustus? Why not the religious leaders? Or why not show up to people who spend hours fasting and praying and reading scriptures to the poor? Why not show up to to someone who has their own radio or television show? And so we begin to understand something. Just like in the world today, the world is largely divided into two great camps. Those who believe that an angel might show up and might have something to say, and those that, who don't believe that under any circumstances, that an angel could never show up and that they never have anything to say. In the first camp of those people who believe that it is possible, but it's highly unlikely, and if an angel were to show up, who would be the least likely people to receive the message? And of course... Right from the start, we begin to understand something that God is no respecter of persons and that the high and the low make no difference to the Lord. According to earthly standards, the high and the low have equal footing as far as God is concerned. According to U.S. News and World Report, the lowest paid workers in America are beauty salon workers, restaurant employees, fast food cooks, cafeteria and food concession workers, farm workers, day laborers, ushers, movie theater ticket takers, and attendants. A lot of the people who don't really get to work except when the job is available. Who do you suppose are the highest paid? Software engineers, brand strategists, patent attorneys, data scientists, investment and financial consultants. And you see this huge disparity and gap. I was telling one of the worship team backstage, I asked her the question, why did God invent lawyers? What do you suppose the answer is? I know some of you, yeah, why did God invent lawyers? So real estate agents would have somebody to look down on. No, that's not true. By the way, you see there are poinsettias here in the front and throughout the sanctuary and in the columnade. 
Will you do me a favor after the service, if you can get to them? Could you please take one of these poinsettias and, and give them as a gift maybe to someone who's living in an assisted living center? Or maybe you have someone in your family who could use a gift. Will you do me a favor and, and take it? Now, obviously, there are more people than there are poinsettias, so you have to correctly answer my question, okay? Ready? There are three people. An honest politician, a happy and content lawyer, and Santa Claus. And they're all standing next to each other, and they see a guy drop a $20 bill. Who do you suppose picks it up? Who? If you said Santa, you're right, because everybody knows that an honest politician and a content lawyer are mythical beings. So if you said Santa, you said right. So you get the poinsettia. Now, back to the study. You would think that if the singular goal of the gospel is to get people saved, and if you would think that angels would show up, then in the ancient world they should have showed up to the people who had the most money and who had the most influence. But the blessings of the gospel are for the ruler and the ruled. And the message is given to shepherds. I'm going to suggest to you because right from the start, God wants to include people who might be considered the least and the last and the lost. And you'll notice that the text says that they, the shepherds were working. They were living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And so the announcement comes first to those people who would normally be excluded. And right from the start, God wants them included. And it says that the watch turns to wonder in verse 9. Look, it says, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord showed round about them, and they were greatly afraid, and so would you. You see, the truth is, When an angel showed up in the Bible, it was usually not to bring you Christmas presents or on a Christmas Eve service. It was normally to say, your time is up and you're going with me. An an angelic visit in the Bible was a terrifying situation. Imagine you see a nuclear device detonated right in front of you. If you have even an ounce of sense there's going to be a sense of terror that's going to overtake you. But the shepherd's terror is soon going to disappear because the revelation is going to give way to action. And that's the proper attitude to a divine announcement. If a supernatural being showed up on your doorstep and said, I have an important message to give you, and the important message includes your future, it would make perfect sense that you would pay attention. In verse 10 it says, Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. And there's a reason why angels in the Bible say that. It's because they are terrified. The angel says, For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be, and look, you're finally in the text, to all people. This is good news, filled with joy. 
It wasn't limited to simply the shepherds, but everyone that the shepherd would come in contact with. It says, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And even though a lot could be said about verse 10 and 11, there's so much that could be said. The most important thing that I can tell you about this message is that it's true. It's true. When the angel said, don't be afraid, I'm bringing you good news of great joy for there's born to you. You see, the humiliation is going to lead to an exaltation. The word is going to be made flesh, but the word is not going to be able to speak because it's going, the the Bible says that Jesus is going to become human and live among us. And the message has stood the test of time and the message is proven true Even though there are people who will try to tell you that it's not true. They'll have specials on the History Channel. They'll have specials on other channels that will try to tell you that this is a bunch of mythological malarkey. But nothing could be further from the truth because you see the whole Bible's geared to the fact that a real God is going to show up in time and space And resolve the problem of sin forever. And there are three important titles that are given by the angel. Look what it says. A Savior. And Christ. And Lord. By the way, in the ancient world, Savior was a popular title. Among both Jewish leaders and Gentile leaders. When they would mint their coins, they would often put the Greek word soter which means deliverer. It could also mean benefactor. And so, depending on the context, it means deliverer, benefactor. Christ means anointed. It's the Greek word that translates the Hebrew word Messiah, the anointed one who has been called by God and set aside and set apart for this amazing mission. To redeem and reconcile human beings. And that's why the angel said it's joy. And then the one word that he uses also to describe this baby is Lord. Now I want you to understand something. That when the angel calls him Messiah or Christ. This is the one who was promised to Adam and Eve. This is the one who's promised to Noah. This is the one who's promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David. This is the one who was talked about in the book of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. The word Lord translates the Old Testament title of the king of the universe. God himself, Jehovah or Yahweh. And the title hints at both his human nature and his divine nature and look what the angel says and this will be the sign to you you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger and the word sign means exactly the same thing it does in our culture and society a sign is supposed to point you in a particular direction so that you can arrive safely at the place where you need to go 
The angel tells the shepherds, how will you recognize this baby? The baby will be wrapped in swaddling clothes. And I'm going to suggest to you that this shepherd and those shepherds had seen lots of babies before. And I'm going to suggest to you that they'd seen babies and they'd seen them wrapped in swaddling clothes. But remember, this baby is going to be lying in a feeding trough that's usually reserved for animals. If you're picturing a barn, you've got the wrong picture. In Bethlehem at that particular time, there would have been hills and limestone caves and they would have hollowed out a particular portion of the crevice and there they would have laid the child. Remember what the angel has said about this baby. Yes, they've seen babies. Yes, they've seen them wrapped in swaddling clothes. They may have seen babies even in unusual circumstances. But they've never seen a baby who was Savior. A baby that was Christ. And a baby that was Lord. William MacDonald writes, quote, This indignity was reserved for the Lord of life and glory when he came into this world. It makes our mind dizzy to think of the creator and the sustainer of the universe entering into human history, not as a conquering military hero, but as a little babe, yet, the tr- that yet this is the truth of the incarnation. The truth that the Lord himself will visit us. This is the Lord who occupies eternity. He lives outside of time and space. My friend Erwin Lutzer, who is the the pastor of Moody Church in Chicago, gave this illustration of eternity. He said, imagine, imagine a bird that comes from heaven and it comes to the earth only once every million years and it takes a single grain of sand in its beak and it flies away and it doesn't come back for another million years and then it comes back again and again until the beach is gone until the continent is gone until the mountains are are gone until the the earth itself completely disappears and you begin to understand just how long eternity is and this god who exists outside of time and space, the creator and the sustainer of the universe dwells among us. It says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. We've used that word a lot as we've sang songs, glory. It's a word that means weight and substance. It means the exact opposite of superficial. After the message, there was an angel with a multitude, look what it says, of the heavenly host. Host is an interesting word in the Bible. Host is a word that means army. The word is translated in Daniel chapter 7 verse 10 and Psalm 68, 17. It means 10,000 times 10,000. Now imagine the shepherds 
reality itself is torn away and they are given a vision of supernatural beings, but not just any supernatural being, but an army of supernatural beings. And what in the world is happening? Apparently the shepherds are being given the ability to see into another world and see into another dimension. And there will come times in your life, there will come moments in your life where in sensitivity and submission to God, the veil is torn away and you're able to look into real world, the real world, the real world in which God has made and created, not just this world, but the next world. And then it says, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men, an army of angels recite the refrain, glory to God in the highest. The implication being that this army, this multitude of supernatural beings are elevating God to the highest place that they can find. And then they're putting him higher and higher. The angels insist that God must be placed higher. And guess what? The moment that you with the angels insist on placing God in the highest place. Then on earth peace. Goodwill toward men. This isn't simple tranquility or harmony. This isn't just a truce or an armistice. This isn't people just laying their arms down in the Sudan or in the Middle East. This is human beings laying down their rebellion against God. This is the peace of reconciliation. This is goodwill between God and men. The alienation and the separation that's been caused by sin is now being both solved and resolved in the birth of the Savior in Christ who is the Lord. We might translate this passage, peace to people who are the objects of God's goodwill. And who are the people who are the objects of God's goodwill? It's already found in verse 10 where it says, Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. All people. That you're the object of his affection. You're the object of his love. You're the object of a miracle. You're the object of joy. You're the object of peace. You're the object of hope. The angels aren't singling out people of goodwill for special blessing, but praising God for the gracious invitation and offer of peace that's made by God himself. And this is what Paul had in mind in Colossians chapter 1 verse 20 when he wrote, And by him, that is Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on the earth, whether things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross, and you who were alienated, and you who were enemies in your mind by wicked works, he has reconciled, he's made a way. And so the shepherds worship. Look what it says in verse 15. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, and this is important, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us. 
They believe the message. They receive the revelation. And they respond. You see, this is the difference. When you believe the message and receive the revelation, the shepherds believe the messenger. The shepherds urge each other to check out the sign. I want you to think for a moment about how different the response of the shepherds was to even the first disciples. When they heard from Mary and the other women who visited the tomb of Jesus and the women had this outrageous story about an angel showing up saying that Jesus is risen from the dead and Peter and John rush to the tomb and they, ha- they have the message of an angel. They have the witness of the women and they have an empty tomb right in front of them and they don't believe it. And there are going to be people at Christmas time, who will try to persuade you that the incredible story of God intervening in human lives can't be true. But I'm telling you that it is true. In verse 16, look what it says, and they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. I want to draw your attention to a word in verse 16 that you probably wouldn't have picked as your first choice. It's the word found. It doesn't just mean stumbled upon. It means discovered after a careful and a specific search. It means to carefully and specifically search to try to determine whether or not the revelation was true. And they went through Bethlehem and they went through the places and they went through the refugee camp and they found a cave and they found a woman and they found a man and they found a babe. The wise men from the east had a star to guide them. The simple shepherds had a singular sign. You'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. The shepherds believed the message and received the sign. Isaac Watts, who is a great hymn writer and Puritan preacher is best known for his hymns of praise, but Watt's father was twice imprisoned for his religious beliefs. He was known as a nonconformist. He wrote these words, The King of glory sends his Son to make his entrance on this earth. Behold the midnight, bright as noon, and heavenly hosts declare his birth. About the young Redeemer's head, what wonders and what glories meet an unknown star arose and led the eastern sages to his feet. Simeon and Anna both conspire the infant Savior to proclaim. Inward they felt the sacred fire and blessed the babe and owned his name. Let pagan hordes blaspheme aloud and treat the holy child with scorn. Our souls adored the eternal God who condescended to be born. There's a reason why some people hate Christmas. Some people hate it for its commercialism or its crass 
way of communicating excess. But there's also another type of person who hates Christmas. The one who can't even for a moment believe that God loves them and cares about them. And look what the shepherds do. They witness the sign, the Savior, the song. The shepherds believe the message. I want you to think this through. The, bu- the, the shepherds believe the message. The shepherds sought the sign. And then they shared the message. By the way, it's impossible to not do that. The moment you believe the message and the moment that you seek the sign that you are going to find out for yourself whether or not Jesus is the Lord, once you discover the truth, there's just no way that you can keep it to yourself. And look what it says, and all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told to them by the shepherds. The story must have gained a rather large audience. But remember, the shepherds are considered the lowest on the social scale. Remember, the shepherds' stories were often taken with a grain of salt. But here's the heart of the matter. Real angels appeared to real shepherds, giving a real message and a real sign. In our text, we're told... And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But nothing, nothing, nothing is said whether or not they believed the message. Or they sought for the sign themselves. Or embraced the Savior. You see, the truth is, there was an opportunity to get the richest present possible. Peace and joy and hope. How can you underestimate those things? I'm going to read to you a poem that I wrote a few years ago. It goes like this Twas the night before Christmas. Twas the night before Christmas in David's hometown. The city was crammed with people pressed down. Joseph and Mary searched seeking some room. Her belly so swollen, a child in her womb. Pilgrims were piled on top of each other. Flesh pressing flesh, children, fathers and mothers. With patience and prayer, the couple conceded some personal privacy was desperately needed. The innkeeper sighed and said, We're unable to provide a shelter, just this simple stable, and surrounded by cattle and goats in a manger. Things continued to worsen and soon got stranger when all of a sudden, contractions they came. Muscles contorted and twisted in pain. Both mother and father were weeping and crying. The pain and the horror, she felt she was dying, but she pushed. And she pushed, and the baby did come, a beautiful baby, a beautiful son. And she wrapped her new baby in swaddling clothes and remembered the name the angel had chose. His name shall be Jesus, the Savior of all, Emmanuel, Rock, Redeemer, Recall. And voices were heard from angels on high, proclaiming God's word from Bethlehem's sky, 
And the angels appeared to the shepherds by night, attending their flocks, beheld the great sight. Glory to God in the highest and goodwill toward all men. A Savior, Redeemer, delivers from sin. And the child who is dressed in the swaddling clothes, he listened and listened to praise and the prose from the cries of his mothers and the songs that were sung glimpsed into the future a cross where he hung and the prophets and poets and pundits and people all crammed into churches with pews and their steeples would listen to preachers and point to their stories about saving grace and all of God's glories. But who would have guessed on the night before Christmas that most of the world would have certainly missed us as the day in the darkness slips into the night on the night before Christmas in a freshly swept stable, the blood and the sweat and the cries if we're able, we miss the whole point of what we have found and the need for a savior, the need for a son, perhaps on this Christmas, we'll remember what's real. We'll remember the purpose. We'll remember the deal of why Jesus came to an earth such as ours to deliver our souls in this fateful hour. And so, when your Christmas comes with great cheer, remember your soul. Remember, my dear. Remember the Savior who came in the night. And remember your sin as it slips out of sight. Merry Christmas to all. And to all, a good night. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the most important presence, peace and joy and hope. A peace that comes knowing that our sin is forgiven. A joy that comes knowing that we are accepted. And a hope that in this life, we will place our confidence in you. And Heavenly Father, we know that humiliation will lead to exaltation and a crib will soon become a cross and the cross will soon become a crown and Jesus will rule and reign forever and ever. And so, Heavenly Father, we pray our hearts would prepare him room. We pray that we would think carefully about the sign and that we would think deeply about the message and that we would believe that Jesus is the Savior in Jesus' name. Amen.